We also have to remember that the economic times during which a company is founded have absolutely no bearing on how successful that company can be. In fact, some of the best tech companies were founded during economic downturns, um, for example, the GFC or the tech wreck. The fact that we're seeing more money coming into the market to invest in companies that are potentially going to be founded right now is really, really exciting. Okay, hello and welcome to RMIT Online's The Pickle. My name is Matt Salir. I'm the director of The Activator here at RMIT, the, the core, the home of entrepreneurship, startups, and all things innovation at RMIT. And today, uh, I would like to welcome Cheryl Mack from Stone & Chalk. Cheryl's the head, or the national head of community at Stone & Chalk, as well as a, a long-time startup mentor and advisor from CEO to um, Founder Institute and everything in between. So we're gonna have a great chat today on the topic of raising capital in the age of COVID. Um, so Cheryl, thanks for joining us on The Pickle. Awesome, thanks so much for having me. Tell us a bit about Stone & Chalk. You know, what, what are you doing there? You've, you've been there for about six months now, albeit a very interesting six months. How's, what is that, what's that been like for you? Yeah, no, it's actually been really awesome. I think I'm one of those people that can jump into the deep end and just, you know, hit the ground running and, you know, take a crisis and turn it into, an opportunity, I guess. So no, I've had I've had a lot of fun. So my job um, is national head of community, which means that I get to create a center of excellence for how we deliver value to our residents. So we've got three hubs: Sydney, Melbourne, and Adelaide. Um, and I work with the community managers in each hub alongside the GMs to ensure that um, our residents get the most out of their residency at Stone and Chalk. So we've got five pillars that we try to deliver value across, which are which are customers, capital, talent, expertise, and community. Uh, and I think a lot of people, a lot of hubs tend to do the community one pretty well um, and where we come in and I think go above and beyond is around those other pillars where we create programs um, actually my job I, I have the best job I get to create those programs and initiatives yeah. <laughs> um, you know around how to how to support residents and founders to raise money how to um, support them to get customers access new markets um, secure mentors and expertise and um, uh, acquire talent and tell us a bit about your journey to Stone & Chalk. What's your background? As, as I said in the intro, you've been a, uh, a founder yourself. You're, you're a long-time mentor in the community. I, I was saying before, uh, you know, we've got a hell of a lot of uh, connections in common. We haven't crossed paths yet, though. So tell us a bit about your journey and, and you know, what, what's, brought, what's got you to Stone & Chalk. Yeah, so um, most people probably know me from my days at StartCon. So I was the CEO of StartCon for four years. Uh, and that's actually an interesting story how that came about. So um, I like to say that like I was born into it. I never really had a chance to not be in the startup world because my parents had their own company when, ah, cool. you know, when I was born. And so I was, yeah, I was born into it. Um, and I said, you know, I'm not going to do anything in business. I'm not going to do anything in marketing. I'm not going to do anything uh, to do with entrepreneurship. And that went out the window, basically, you know, first year university where I started was my it, own business. In the DNA. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'm actually, I'm, you've probably noticed that I don't sound uh, Australian. That's because I am only half Australian, I guess. Um, so I'm Canadian. I was born in Canada and I moved here in 2015. And I, in my career in Canada, I'd basically worked for a bunch of smaller um, startups and kind of supporting them in their marketing. And so when I landed in Australia, I thought, well, I've worked for small tech companies. Uh, maybe I should try to work for a big tech company. Who's the biggest, baddest cat in town I could go work for? And so at the time, this was five and a half, six years ago, I was really just Freelancer and Atlassian um, that were the big tech companies in town. So I showed up on Freelancer's door and I said, you're going to hire me. And they eventually relented and brought me on. And then I essentially founded StartCon uh, with, well, we took over SidStart from Pete Cooper. And then uh, I turned it into StartCon um, under, under, 
the freelancer brand for about uh, four years. So yeah, I basically had to figure out, we had 600 startups going through the pitch program every year. So I had wow. to figure out how to how to get 600 startups pitch ready. <laughs> <laughs> and Cheryl, obviously uh, Stone & Chalk have just released a funding guide for, for founders and early stage startups. Tell us a bit about that. Where did that, where did that come from? And what, what, what are you hearing as feedback around um, some of the guidance in that? Yeah, so that's actually something that was a bit of a big project within Stone & Chalk. It took a lot of the team pulling it together for quite a few months. Um, so we've just released a 42 page comprehensive capital raising guide for startups, uh, which essentially goes through all of the different types of funding, um, you know, what are terms, where where can you go to get funding, um, and and we've worked with our partners across, uh, I think it was like 14 or 15 um, venture capital partners, angels, syndicates, um, and even equity crowdfunding platforms as well. Um, so for example, like uh, NAB Ventures, ReInventure, Firemark, um, Gelix, so many, uh, right-click capital. And so they, they've actually given us a lot of great feedback. Uh, well, they helped us put it together essentially, but the, the feedback in the market so far has been that it's been really, really helpful uh, in terms of just being able to provide uh, information on what you need to know before you go out to raise capital uh, in really simple terms. You know, they, a lot of people hear us talk about safe notes and convertible notes and venture debt, and they're like, what, what are you talking about? And then generally they'll like, they're like, oh yeah, safe, yeah. And it's like, no, you're not expected to know that, right? Like, but you kind of are when you when you start to go out and, and start your capital raising journey. When you start to talk to investors, they assume that you're going to know this stuff. But really, it's it's difficult to figure out what that is, especially because there's different terms across Australia and overseas. And so um, we've built this one or we've um, done this one for Australian terms. Um, but yeah, so it's got a lot of really great information in it. You can go download it. Um, if you just search capital raising guide for startups on Google, you'll find it. Um, so it's the stone and chalk one. Good, got the SEO optimized. That's good. And I suppose that, um, you know, the, the wonderful investor network that you do have, part of that community that you're responsible for must have been such a, a rich source because you said something really important there that it's optimized for Australian startups, for Australian conditions, for Australian law. And I think a lot of the time uh, startups uh, inadvertently sort of appropriate something from another market, another jurisdiction and, and get into strife down the track. Did, did you have some good discussions with investors about addressing some of those, those problems? Um, I think, yeah, we, we definitely had a chat with them around like, let's just define a lot of the terms that are used. Uh, we didn't we didn't go into you know what's the difference between a FAS, which is the the UK version of a safe note, um, or and what our safe note is. But we defined all of the terms that you would run into here and allowed startups to understand. Okay, if I want to raise money, what are my options in terms of like VC, angel, syndicate, equity? What c can I use to raise money? Con note, safe note, uh, venture debt, straight equity, uh, and what are the places I can go and do that from? And a bunch of other stuff around what kind of equity should I be expecting to give away? What's the VC valuation method? And a bunch of other stuff. So we, we tried to outline what you're going to run into in pretty human terms so that you're not, you know, Googling endless legal jargon on end. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a, it's a, you know, something we talk about a lot, that, that type of journey, obviously, at RMIT, you know, instilling that entrepreneurial thinking, that mindset in, in students. And, you know, what we see is that, 
that shift towards you know gig economy and and so on. Yeah, last year, you know, seven percent of Australians are starting to find their way into creating their own value, and that could be an enterprise or, or what have you. Um, so, what 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 are you sort of seeing and, and hearing about those those changing work trends, and how do you think it is impacting uh, the work that Stone and Chalk does? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing that that tells me, and a lot of that data that's coming through, shows me that people want flexibility. You know, there we we used to say, oh, gone are the days where you spend you know ten years in a job. But we've gone so far as to say, gone are the days that you spend any time in one job at all. Most people were moving towards a an an era of most people having more than one job. You know, people drive for Lyft and Uber and whatever other mustache thing that there is um, that you can drive for. People deliver for Deliveroo and Menulog. Um, and I think the trend is towards flexibility. People want to have the flexibility to work when and how they want to. They want to be able to earn money um, in addition to a salary or as their salary alone. Um, and so I think when we think about what does this mean for the future of work, and for Stone and Chalk in particular, I think about how can we create flexible work situations that allow people to do their best work and to realize their best potential. Mm. And I guess that's a yeah, it's a really interesting one about you know early stage founders and, and those uh, trying to find their way in a startup. That that idea of a safety net and you know do you what's the point at which you jump out of a nine to five and, and go all in and chase the dream and, and whatever else? Do you think you can have both or? You know, what's your experience been with founders and teams that you have coming through about the, you know, making that transition? What's what's your feelings there? Yeah, look, um, I get that question a lot, actually, um, particularly with Founder Institute, because Founder Institute is a pre-accelerator. So we do get a lot of founders coming through who are um, still in their corporate jobs and looking to uh, explore their kind of on the side um, project to see if they can actually turn that into a company. So my answer is generally, you need to figure out what your risk profile is in order to make this decision. And, you know, if, if you're in some sort of corporate job, you're likely to have a certain amount of savings. You need to think about like, okay, if I have X amount of savings, what percentage of that am I willing to risk? And there are factors that sometimes you can't change, like you might have kids or a partner or a sick mom or a mortgage that you know, you're over leveraged on. So you need to look at your life and what's going on and figure out like what is your risk profile in terms of the amount of money that you can essentially risk on this business, right? Because the first thing is that you are investing in yourself. You are taking your human resource and sometimes your own capital and investing into this idea that you have, right? And so you also kind of need to think like an investor in that sense and think about, well, what's the risk I'm willing to take? The second thing that normally comes up is, okay, well, I definitely want to go all in on this business, but when should I do it? So they've made the decision to, okay, yes, I am going to go all in, but when should I do it? And I often hear them say, oh, well, you know, the work that's involved isn't really full time right now. And I'm like, Okay, well, that doesn't make sense to me because if this is something that you genuinely think can be a huge company and are willing to, to go full time on this, how is there not enough work right now for it? Like, <laughs> you're doing something wrong here. You, there, you should be creating enough work. In fact, there should be way too much work. Um, so that's something that I think I try to help founders um, rethink when they say those things. And then the last one is... Uh, when you get investment, typically an investor is not going to want you to be still part-time on something else. So if you're going after investment, you need to understand that that's probably going to be the absolute last point in time when you can still have um, a job on the side. 
Yeah, and and I, I guess that's a really great segue to what we're seeing happen in um, in the venture you know, venture market in Australia. Yeah, you know, even just today, as we just before we got on, I was yeah you know, the uh, hearing the announcement from um, Blackbird that they've just yeah you know, closed another five hundred million dollar fund and brought Cannon Brooks on as chair, Paul Bassett last week and Square Peg another three fifty. So it seems like there's there's lots of really exciting stuff happening in the Australian VC. Um, market and, and KPMG's Pulse report indicated that was the case as well. Um, Paul's yeah, talking about this six months has actually been the, the the best six months in terms of return to investors. So I guess, you know, Stone of Chalks has, has had that uh, involvement in the ecosystem all the way through these funds growing. What do you, what do you think some of those trends are telling us about that, that appetite to jump in, you know, get rid of the nine to five, go all in, um, create that work. What do you, what do you think the, uh, what are the signals that you think people should be paying attention to? Yeah, look, I think um, the fact that there is more money out there is a really, really good thing, particularly in this environment. Um, we also have to remember that the economic times during which a company is founded have absolutely no bearing on how successful that company can be. In fact, some of the best tech companies were founded during economic downturns, um, for example, the GFC or the tech rec. So, the, the fact that we're seeing more money coming into the market to invest in companies that are potentially going to be founded right now is really, really exciting. Um, I think that there are different factors that will play into you know, how you get money now. Um, when I listen to VCs and, and angels talk about you know, what are the criteria for investment and have they changed, you know, the, the fact that we are in a global pandemic does come up. So your business idea needs to work now, but it also needs to work once this pandemic is over and we find whatever that new normal is or we go back to some semblance of um, our previous normal. Um, so look, I think it's really interesting that uh, we have had, you know, you're right, a couple of large raises, um, but that's, that's just the start, right? So mm. we've, they've just closed this new round. Now they're going to start investing. What's really cool is that um, if you look at the life cycle stages of a, of a fund, typically they will invest in smaller, riskier deals at the start of that fund and bigger, more follow-on, um, less riskier deals at the end. So if we have a couple of funds that have just raised a new round, that means that we might have more investment in those earlier risky stage companies in the next year or so. Might. This is a generalization. Yeah. <laughs> Opportunity rich environment is, is the other way to put it. You're right. And that, that 500 million, I think, you know, 180 for follow on. And, you know, it'd be really interesting to see whether that, that plays out as well. I, I guess the other factor, you know, we can't, um, you can't ignore is Australia's officially in a recession now, two, two quarters of negative growth. What do you think that means for? What startup founders should be thinking about as they as they go out looking for, you know, that that product market fit, the the customer problem really tightly defined, but also how to finance that. You know, what what are sort of some of the things that should shift because of of that, you know, the current uh, situation? I think the shift towards less. Um... I want to call them like fun things. Like we always talk about product market fit and we t and before that we talk about problem solution fit. And mm -hmm. I do a lot of pitching um, pitching workshops and I get this question sometimes from that one founder who's like, what if my app is just like how to make sunglasses look cool virtually? And I'm like, that's cool. You're like a Snapchat in the sense that like, you know, people just didn't really like photos the way they were on the camera and they wanted a funner version of photos with like little ear thingies and stuff, right? Um, which is cool, but 
Uh, the likelihood of being able to generate a billion dollar company from something like that is much lower, particularly in the in economic times like a recession, because recessions tend to highlight inefficiencies, and inefficiencies create pain points, and cre- pain points are amplified during recessions, which mm-hmm. means that there is a lot of opportunity to solve really, really difficult pain points and create value in doing so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting um, observation. We do a lot of work. You know, our portfolio companies are in that pre-acceleration space as well. And um, because a lot of them are students, of course, they're coming from that very personal experience of a problem that happens as a student and yeah. helping them understand the scalability being a really critical one, particularly if you want someone to put uh, funding into it. So, I, I, and I guess that's the that's the other thing. Yeah, that the best source of, of of funding is revenue from customers, right? People willing to pay for your product or service. Um, and as you said, some of those the, the biggest tech companies came out of these really challenging times. Whether whether even you know tech um, bubble bursting in in two thousand and one, the the GFC uh, previous yeah, like all of those things are there. How are you starting to shape your your pitch coaching, the program elements beyond the the community forming, and and I guess you know to, to draw on the community forming when people aren't physically together, how are you sort of um, helping that um, that more visceral thing that needs to happen for that for innovation to truly take hold? So I'll answer your first one, uh, first question first. Uh, yeah, sorry, around... there's like about three at once. <laughs> we, we, we could cut them up a little bit, sorry. <laughs> I mean, in terms of like the pitch coaching, uh, it's really, it's around getting founders to focus on your traction and really showcasing the traction. So like mm. I get these really problem-centered um, pitch decks and I look at that and I'm like, yeah, no, I get that there's a problem here. We all understand this is a problem. Like where are you at with solving it? Because you're one of about 12 hundred around the world that are focused on trying to solve this problem in various different ways. Um, so like, tell me, tell me, what's your traction? Even if it's, I have spent six months doing deep customer interviews with my target group to develop the best possible, you know, product solution fit here. Like I need to know what your traction is and investors are going to need to know what your traction is. Um, Cause that, that's the biggest thing that I, I think founders need to refocus on in this day and age. Um, what was your second question? Uh, so yeah, good one. The pitching, refocusing on that. I guess as as you're starting to go toward um, perhaps pre VC money, so angels or you know all the Fs. Where where would you say the the pain points are for for you to talk to investors about? Why would someone else want to fund that for you at the moment? Founders and or sorry, investors, angels, VCs, they all want to see passion and they want to see a deep connection to that problem as well as market expertise. Um, so there's a lot of founders that will come to me with their ideas saying, oh yeah, I have, like I saw this. And I'm like, oh, like how'd you, how'd you get onto this? I'm like, oh, my sister um, had you know, a baby and this happened. And I'm like, okay, and what's your experience in baby products? And they're like, oh, well, I just think that's, you know, I've bought some and that's a good opportunity. I'm like, could be a great idea. You are absolutely not the right person to do so. Um, so that's something like that's that's just the reality of it, right? Like you are less likely to succeed. If you have a deep connection to a problem, then you are more likely to want to spend the next five to ten years tackling that problem, and you are less likely to get attached to a particular 
product or feature and really focus on solving that problem, which is uh, typically the trait a, a trait of a successful founder. And the other one is if you have deep understanding of this market, you're going to be you're more likely to be successful in addressing their needs. So those two things together, deep connection to the problem and market expertise, tend to um, be the biggest things like the kind of the starting point um, that mm. investors look for, myself included, uh, when, when I look at businesses. So. I would focus on that. <laughs> and the third, the third part of the question, you're right, the three-part question was that we know a lot of that um, customer discovery, you know, deep understanding of the problem comes from connection, connection to the customers physically, connection to other founders working on, you know, comparable or complementary um, problems or opportunities. How are Stone and Chalk going about you know, endeavouring to replicate some of that serendipity that comes from the, the community environments you have in a, in a sort of a distributed virtual uh, existence at the moment. Yeah, it's an interesting one. And look, I'll be totally honest, I'm not sure we've solved it any better than the next, you know, Joe Blow um, who's running events. I would say, like, we've, we've virtualized our products and services. Um, mm. So, you know, for example, our, our community sweet spots, which is where we provide dessert and um, announcements are being done virtually. Uh, you know, our, our, a lot of our events are, our community events are being done virtually, which I think is creating a very similar amount of connection between the residents. What's interesting is that although we've uh, removed some of that physical ability to connect, uh, the, the sheer acceptance of virtual has actually created opportunities for uh, people in our communities across our three hubs to connect where they wouldn't normally have. So, mm. um, you know, we, we do something called uh, roundtables and, um, for example, we'll do CTO roundtables. And it, this is the first time where we've had CTOs from all three of our hubs actually be able to participate in, in the same roundtable, which I think is really cool because uh, now we're sharing knowledge across different locations. So although it's closed some doors, it has also opened up others. Now, in terms of the kind of serendipity, like, are you going to meet an investor at, um, you know, at a pitch event? You know, not so much anymore. How do we re recreate that? I think Stone and Chalk um, and some of the programs that I've created uh, around our investor match, uh, mentor match, and customer match allows us to do so over, you know, over virtual services, essentially. And, uh, I think a lot of the VCs in particular just have shifted to virtual meetings, um, which is actually even better for me because it used to be that I had to, when I um, matched a founder with an investor, I had to th I had to think about would that investor take um, founders from anywhere or did they want to meet them in person? And if they required meeting them in person, then I would have to make sure that I only did that introduction when I knew that they would be in the same city together, which made my life a lot more difficult. Whereas now, I don't need to factor that into my matching. It's great. <laughs> There's also, I think, um, I'd be interested in your thoughts on this as well. We've seen a lot more... Um, uh, ease for for founders to get a to get a meeting to get a chat to get a to connection with uh, potential funders simply because of that you know that they're they're also not moving around as much or the diaries are, are stacked in a different way have you have you seen that same sort of um, you know it's almost opportunistic that there's more space to have that initial um, discussion doesn't mean it might be um, as easy to close, but I, I wonder whether you're seeing the same sorts of things. Yeah, absolutely. A couple of the angels in my network are actually loving it and are taking more meetings from different places. Mm. Um, and it, for example, um, one of yeah, a good friend of mine, Angel um, in Melbourne, he said that you know he's like, I love it. Like I don't have to leave my house and I can stack my calendar. You know, for a meeting that 
used to, like if I had to go into the city, I had to sit down for coffee, uh, even mm. if I could stack them back to back, like you can't do 30 minutes back to back with um, coffee meetings because inevitably there's the hi, hello, somebody's five minutes late, you know, runs over a little yeah. bit. Whereas virtual, I can literally like click off, click on, <laughs> right? And so we can we can stack them back to back. So yeah, I am mm. absolutely seeing that there, there are more, um, at least initial meetings happening. I think also on the VCs part, you have to remember that um, for the VCs, normally they'll have like scouts or analysts that will go to all the demo days, right? So they'll send them out mm. and they'll go mm. and then they'll come back and they'll present and um, and they don't have that anymore. So now they need to find another way to connect with all these um, founders. Mm. And so they're actually much more willing to um, to take those meetings, I think. Yeah, and it's a really good um, point. We, we spend a lot of time talking about other markets, obviously, um, beyond Australia. I wonder, given your background, what is what are some of the top tips you have for founders about what they should be adapting from positive behaviors, say in the US or Israel or, or elsewhere, um, in terms of that hustle, in terms of that, that investment chase. Uh, I think sometimes here in Australia, we, we tend to be a little bit uh, standoffish, perhaps. So what, what, what have you picked up in your, in your time in Australia? Uh, I find Australia is, a, is more conservative and more risk averse overall. Um, mm. But the one, the one area where it plays out, and I think um, I, I sometimes stand out as different um, in the community, not from everyone, but I would say like on average, is that willingness to share and willingness to um, open networks. I think mm. the, you know, in, in the US and Canada, the whole double opt-in intro um, is absolutely standard. Whereas here, I still get every once in a while, someone will just like drop an intro into my box. Yeah. And I'm like, ah. And I it um, kills me. And then, How hard is it to do the double opt-in? It's, it's just, like, that's just standard, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. But then <laughs> the the opposite happens because people will be less willing. Like if if somebody asks me for an intro, I'm like, yeah, okay, like that's fine. Send me like send me something that I can send them, and mm. I'll send it. Because worst case scenario, they either ignore me or they say no, and then I'm no yeah. worse off. In fact, I look better for giving them you know for giving them the opportunity Absolutely. to say no, right? Mm. Um, so. When I ask, I find that I have to ask like two or three people for the same introduction because not everyone operates in that same view. They'll think, no, I'm not willing to do that intro. Oh, no. And I'm like, mm. okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I think the other, the other one I think is this, this, we can be sometimes too polite and you know, think, oh, well, vast once, we'll just wait and hopefully you just actually, you know, bump it up the inbox every now and again, drop another message on the call. You know, like it, it's sort of the, the right amount of cultural hustle in Australia to get to that 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 meeting and that and that potential for a close. I, oh, I just yeah. wonder whether that's featuring in your in your pitch coaching uh, more <laughs> prominently here, perhaps. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, like, so I like I'll typically support in terms of providing introductions, and then I have yeah. a whole series. Like, if I do an introduction, I hit sequence on my right inbox, and it'll go through a whole sequence of feedback things. In fact, I think the investors in my network sometimes get annoyed because they're like, "Cheryl, the deal hasn't closed yet. We're still talking to them. We'll tell you when it closes." And I'm like, "I can't help it. It's set on a like repeat. Like, hey, what's your feedback? Hey, what's your feedback? Well, <laughs> yeah, um, and I do that with." everything like when I send an email if it's particularly if it's a first kind of reach out I just hit like sequence and then it'll follow up for me um, and it's great and people think that I'm on top of it when really I'm not I've completely forgotten about that email that I sent <laughs> don't tell anyone um, no, no, look, it, your secret's safe with all the listeners of the pickle um, so look really appreciate your time to share today Cheryl I, I wonder you know if you if you had to say um, what you've seen from uh, 
you know, say here in Australia at least, from February to, to the end of July with, uh, with the pandemic, what you see as the top three um, positives that are there for, for startups and, and our founders that are trying to make their way in the world? What, what do you think everyone should be jumping on top of? Mm, I'm going to come back to market inefficiencies. Remember that these like economic times highlight market inefficiencies and market inefficiencies are areas where you can create value and in essentially make money. Um, so mm. I would say that's number one. Look for market inefficiencies and solve pain points. Um, number two is the like openness of like, yes, we've closed a couple doors, but we've opened a lot in terms of virtualizing everything that's given you a lot of opportunities to connect with people that you wouldn't normally be able to connect with. Um, so take advantage of that. And three, I'm going to say like, I actually kind of hope that this whole like let's wa let's wash our hands and sanitize every time we go in and out of a building sticks around after this because like that probably should have just been standard to begin with. <laughs> well, Cheryl, thanks heaps for your time today on the pickle. Uh, and for more, don't hesitate to drop into the iTunes Store or your favourite provider of podcasts to uh, to link in, follow the pickle, and uh, hear more amazing insights like you've heard today. Thanks heaps. Thank you. The Pickle was brought to you by RMIT Online. Change the way you think about learning. We have. Study short courses and full degrees online on your terms. Head to online.rmit.edu.au to find out more.